So I want tonight to be more about a celebration than not. Because, you know, obviously closing down a congregation is never, never a fun thing to do. But actually, uh, from what I believe I've got here, I, I, I want to share some things tonight about um, where we're going ahead as a church, as a network as well. Because there's a lot of changes coming, some really good stuff, quite exciting things. And so I'm going to uh, share about all of that as well and how that you're still a part of all of that. Um, so to start with, let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Um, I'm just going to quickly um, read from verse 6 to, through to 9. So Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6 to 9. And it says, The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You've stayed long enough on this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountain of the Amorites and to everywhere near it in the plain, in the hills, in the valley, in the south and by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, to Lebanon, to the great river, the river Euphrates. Look, I have set the land before you. Go in, possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give them and their seed after them. So the people of Israel had been stuck in the wilderness for a very long time, 40 years. The wilderness is a very harsh place to be because if you look at the numbers in the book of Numbers of how many of the Israelites left Egypt and how many remains that went into the promised land, it was a lot less because life in the wilderness is tough um, and it has a cost and a price to pay. But the good news is you've been around this mountain long enough. Amen. It's like you've done this thing for long enough and now it's time to actually move into your inheritance. Now it's the time to move into your promised land. This isn't a putting a nice spin on, on, a, on a tragic situation because I don't believe it is because I, as I explain a little bit later about uh, the way that I think that church in general is going to be going and the shape of things to come, I think what we're trying to do here is get a little bit ahead of the curve and get, get done what needs to be done for where we're going. And uh, I believe God is, wants to encourage us that actually, you know, although you're not going to be carrying on in this format, but there's a few things that you need to know. Is firstly, this church is what I call a bits and bobs church. Okay, and I don't mean that in a rude way, but, but the actual core members of this church are actually not that many. And we have quite a lot of visitors that come, etc., etc. So because of that, um, any, any church that doesn't have a strong core base it's always going to be difficult to really kind of grow it and we've got a lot of people that are, are moving on and things like that and so it just seemed to me actually this seems the logical time to do what needs to be done um, and I'm going to explain about where we're going and stuff shortly so please, please, don't be, um, please don't be sad so turn with me to Joshua chapter 1 I use this, this verse a lot but it is <laughs> It is very striking. Yeah, it, one tonight. Sorry, Joshua 1, verses 1 to 3. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it happened uh, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, to the children of Israel. In every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, that have I given to you, as I've said to Moses. So here, so the first verse that we just read was in Deuteronomy. And this is basically now God is saying, 
You guys, you've done this mountain, you've done this round, you've been here, you've done this long enough. Now's the time to enter into the promised land. And then we have this monumental shift in the beginning of Joshua in that Moses is dead. The leader that, that led us right, you know, right up to the promised land, that moment has finished, it's ceased, it's over. Now, can you imagine what this was like for the people of Israel? You know, but, but Moses, I mean, man, he was getting on some, right? He was 120 years old. His natural strength wasn't abated. In other words, he still looked good at the age of 120, right? So it, it, it looked like he was going to go on forever. And then came the day where, unfortunately, Moses had to die. But then something new comes. And this is what I love. So when, when a door is closed, it doesn't mean it's the end. Sometimes a door closing is an opportunity to come into something else. And so a door closing here with, a, with what we're doing on a Sunday night is actually an invitation to come into a new place and into a new space that the, God, uh, the Lord has for us. But like the Israelites, can you imagine what, what this must have been like? You, you've grown up with Moses, you, you, you know, literally as kids, you grew up as kids with Moses as your, as your spiritual leader. And we've been traveling around the wilderness. The only life we've ever known for the last 40 years is wilderness life. You know, I know how to get stuff out of the wilderness. I know how to trade and how to do this and how to grow stuff where things wouldn't grow. But now God is saying, right, that's over now. Now it's time for you to come into the promised land, to come into the fullness of your inheritance, to come into the fulfillment of all the prophecies of uh, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I mean, this was monumental. This was huge. Finally, we are now going to go into something where we've been longing and aching and yearning. And then suddenly they get the call. Today is the day. However, Moses is dead You've got a, a new untested leader, so to speak, Joshua, although he is a good leader because he's a military commander. And you can see this in the text. So I've got time to go into that. He's a military commander. So he's a different type of leader. He's got a different type of style. And now this is the guy that's going to lead the people into this new promised land. And the thing I want to encourage you with is that this is a closing of one door, but actually it's an opening of another. And it's an invitation into new things. Because we are going somewhere. There is a point to all this. This is not like, oh, we're just closing down. Let's put a happy spin on it. Because actually this is all relevant for where we're going. Um, which I'll get into in a minute. Well, why not let's get into that now. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Because the question that gets often asked these days is, what even is a church? What is church? And uh, to be blunt, some people get their knickers in a twist about church. People say, oh no, I don't like that word church. Please use the, uh, it's from the, 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 the Greek word ekklesia, which means congregation. Okay. But when I hear the word congregation, guess what I think of? A church. All right. So really. <laughs> an, an Anglican church. Yeah, ex exactly. So I know there might be a bit of baggage with the word church, and I appreciate that. But actually, we need to biblically understand what church really is. Because we've all got a lot of ideas about what church is and what it isn't and what it should be and what it shouldn't be. But actually we should allow scriptures to define what the identity of a church looks like. So in Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at from verse 43 to 47. Now when we first planted our first church, this was the blueprint that God gave us. And we've never moved on from this blueprint. And we never are going to move on from this blueprint because this is the blueprint for church. Acts 2, 43 to 47. It says, Reverential fear came to everyone, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
and all those who believed were together and shared things in common. And they sold their possessions and properties and they were dividing the proceeds to all to whatever degree anyone had a need. <clears throat> and day by day they were holding forth of one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were sharing nourishment in joy and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And every day the Lord was adding to those who had been saved. So let's just look at this. So first of all, there is, and we'll look at more of this in a minute, but there is still leadership. There is leadership here. I mean, I often hear people saying, if only we could go back to the first century church. That's how church should be done. It should be done in a house. Okay, fine. Yeah, you can do it in a house if you want to. But then don't forget that the Ephesus church was a five and a half thousand people strong church. Don't forget that Laodicean church was one of the biggest churches ever at that time. You know, well, not at that time, but later on. In fact, it was so big, one, one length of one church took up the whole, one of the whole lengths of the street in, in Laodicea. And there was loads of churches all over Laodicea. So the idea that church was just like meeting in Uncle Pat's house uh, in, in Cosham, and that's church, isn't necessarily actually what history bears out as being true. So all those who believed were together and they shared all things in common. Now, this is another thing that's important is... So whether you're doing community groups, house church, or you're doing a larger kind of style of congregation, one of the things is that's really important is that we must have things in common. So one of the things that we do in our charity structure is that we make it so that we always have a pot of money to help people in the congregation that are in need. But you see, if it's just a, group, a small group of you guys all out there on your own, you don't have the financial clout or the power to be able to do that. So there is strength in numbers, okay? Even if you're following the Jerusalem church model, which is they came and met at temple as a corporate body, but then they went out to their houses where they did life and they did ministry together and they grew from that point and the church grew and grew and grew. Now, this is a model that was astute by um, Dr. Yonggi Chow. I don't know if anyone's heard of him. Yeah. And so he had this massive, massive, I mean, it's, it's awe-inspiring how big their building was and how many people it seated. I can't remember the exact number, but it's ludicrously huge. But what they then did is they had cell church, which were small community groups that acted as mini churches in the community. So the mindset here in the West is, we come together on a Sunday as a launch pad to just help us make it through to the midweek meeting, which will help us make it through back to Sunday again. But their church model is different. What goes on in the week is the life of the church. The Sunday is the coming together of the celebration of the life of the church. And so then the corporate gathering becomes a slightly different ethos and direction. And therefore, from there, they get good teaching corporately, etc. They have the power and the wealth from the corporate gathering of the saints. But then, then they go out and do life in their own little communities, etc. And they grow the house churches that way. And so the churches grow as little groups of people that are meeting in each other's houses. But they still gather corporately en masse. And this is, you might go, well, I don't agree with that model of church, Chris. But actually, this is how the Jerusalem church model worked. Okay, there is a biblical model. Now, the, the thing is, if you're looking for the perfect biblical model of church, I've got news for you. You ain't going to find it. There are five different models of church in the book of Acts alone. So which one is it? All right, it's, not, it's not an either and or. 
It's like you must adapt to the times in which you're in and just be flexible to whatever it is that God is doing. You know, um, so our Fer Ferrum congregation has grown from a small, it's now a, well, it is a large congregation now, and, and therefore dynamics change. Things that you used to do in small congregations, you can't do in big congregations. You know, so having these times of testimony and things like that, we can't do really do that anymore because there's too many people there now and it would just be mayhem. So things have to change and have to adapt. So carrying on with this Acts 2 thing. So uh, they sold their possessions and properties and they were dividing the proceeds to all to whatever degree anyone had need. You know, I remember when we first started in, in Purbrook a long time ago and uh, someone, his car blew up. And so we just had a whip round and we bought them a new second-hand car, okay? And then up the road, my friend was telling me about how the church needed a new two and a half million pound roof and how that they put all this money. And it just, it just showed the, 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 the wide chasm between church and church. So one was focusing on its buildings, which is nothing wrong. I mean, it is a, a listed building. It needed a lot of money. It's a needy, greedy church building. But then the church is also the people, actually. The church Amen. is the people. It's not really Amen. the building. But, and I say this but, to say that we don't need to be in buildings is actually, if you know your Bible well enough, you will find that Jews met in synagogue, Jews met in temple throughout all from the beginning to the end. And you know, even in the beginning when it had the tabernacle, you had the tabernacle as a central theme, but they still congregated and they met together and they still did a form of large corporate gatherings together. So which way you want to spin this, which way you want to look at it, church has, must have a central communal focal point whilst you have also these external satellites that make up all of those little people that come together. Yeah, you're with me so far? Yeah. All right. And day by day, they were holding forth of one mind in the temple. So they were corporately gathering in a building and breaking bread from house to house. So this is where we're doing these like cell groups, these house groups. People are doing life together, church life in each other's houses. And they were sharing nourishment in joy and simplicity of heart. In other words, they were eating together, having meals together, doing life together, fellowshipping together, being there for one another, supporting one another. Amen. And that's really important. Because the, the old model of, well, the pastor can look after everything and the pastor can look after all the people is, is a really stupid model. I'm sorry to be blunt, but it, it really is. Because it goes and burns out the pastor and no one ends up doing anything. They not, not, don't really get moved into the things that they're called to because everyone has a, um, this kind of what I call a picture house mentality where we just come and sit on a chair and we want to watch the big screen and be entertained. That's not church. Okay? That's not what God wants. And they were praising God and having favor with the people. And every day the Lord was adding to those who had been saved. So other things that they did is they, they prayed as well. There's a, another section here, which I've, not, I've missed. But there's another section where they would gather together and they would pray as well. Daily praying and devoted, that's it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. Okay, this is also in Acts 2. And that's another thing which, again, I'm finding the church doesn't really do anymore. Um, we don't devote ourselves to prayer. We don't devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching necessarily. And so these are things that we need to try and bring back into church. And of course then the question is with all of this is what about church leadership? Okay, because again in our postmodernistic society people, you're not the boss of me, you're going to tell me what to do. I don't, want, I don't want to be under any kind of leadership or any kind of authority because I am my own authority and I'll do as I think and do as I please because I'm a postmodern Christian. 
That is not a biblical mindset. That is a worldly mindset. And unfortunately, that value culture has come into the church and polluted the church. Amen. And it's undermining the power and the strength and the need of good leadership. So if you turn with me to Acts, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, we all know um, in Corinthians where the Holy Spirit administers gifts uh, to the church. But here we come into what is known as the gifts of Christ himself. Um, and this is Ephesians 4 verses 11 to 16. Okay, and this is talking about Jesus. And Jesus gave on the one hand apostles, on another hand prophets, still others evangelists, others pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. In other words, if you want to be released in ministry, it's essential that you too have good godly leadership and guidance. For the building up of the body of the Messiah until we would all attain in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God into a mature person, to the measure, to the full maturity and stature of the Messiah. That is the role of leadership, is to help the church through Christ, the gift of Christ to his saints, to his ecclesia, to his congregation, to his church, that the church may grow strong, that the church may grow in individual ministries as well, so that we can all come to the fullness of the maturity of the stature of Christ. And... If we are denying that aspect of Christianity, so bear in mind I'm preaching to the choir here, but there's people that listen to this uh, all over the country on the podcast and stuff. So I have to say this, if you are anti-leadership, you are anti the very, the very essence of what church should be. You are anti-Christ's own uh, giving to the church to make the church grow and become substantial into the place of maturity. You do away with leadership, you're, doing, you're stunting the church and you're never allowing her to grow into the fullness of what she is intended to be. Because we all have a part to play. Yeah? I'm a leader, I do things, I train, I equip, I release etc. But that's all very well and good, but if, if people are not actually wanting to be trained and equipped and, and released and actually do something, praise God, then nothing's ever going to change, is it? We've all got something to do. We've all got a part to play. So this isn't, this isn't me having a, a leader's dictatorship um, conversation here. But I'm just trying to say, in our postmodernistic society, where we don't like leaders, we have to concede to Scripture as our authority, not on the spirit of the age. Okay? And the spirit of the age says... We mistrust leadership. We don't like leadership. We, are, we don't want you to be uh, in authority. We don't want to be under authority to you. One thing that I hear a lot as a pastor uh, is that, well, I, you know, I submit to Jesus, but I don't submit to man. But how can you say you submit to Jesus if you can't submit to a delegated authority of Christ upon the earth? Now, this might sound very, oh, this is very dangerous, very dictatorial. No, this is what I just read to you. You know, I remember, uh, he's a brave man for saying it, but a missionary guy, and uh, we had him over at one of our church, church plants, and he, he, he grabbed this guy after the church, and this guy was saying something along these lines, and he basically let him have it. He was like, listen, now this is a guy who's a missionary. He's out, out where's he now? Um, you probably don't know who I'm talking about, do you? Uh, but they're out in Africa right now. They're doing an amazing work, okay? Um, and he said to him, you, you, say that you, you say that you obey Christ, but you won't obey man. 
shows that actually you're not obeying Christ at all because all you're doing is if you can't obey a delegated uh, set of, of, of delegated authority for Christ in his church, then you are not prepared to submit to the word of God and therefore not prepared to submit to Christ. So the only person you're listening to and submitting to is yourself. And I was like, wow, he's a brave man for saying that because I wouldn't say it. So I'm just passing on what he said. But it was very true. And it is something because because at the end of the day, this is not about me getting my position so I can be secure. This is about God's body growing efficiently and effectively. And therefore, we must do it according to the blueprint as set down, which is the sense of the kingdom of God. And if we want to see the kingdom of God manifest on the earth, we can't do it in a post-cultural way. We've got to do it the biblical way Amen. as defined by scripture, because that is the kingdom pattern. It is the kingdom way. Now, I'm not saying that everything's black and white because it isn't with this. There's a lot of grey areas. There's a lot of things where God moves and does this and does that. But these are essentially the basic structures of what a church looks like. So what is it that we are doing now? Because, uh, you know, a lot of the prophecies that God has given me over the years is that we are coming into a time of probably the worst economic downturn that this nation has ever seen. I think it's going to be absolutely awful. And you might think, no. Everything's great, but actually, give you an example. The UK bond yield market, the bond market, so the yield curve on that, okay? You probably don't know what I'm talking about, but do you remember the, um, the court, uh, what's his name, um, the Liz Trust, when she was in and she did that mini budget and you saw the bond market go crazy and they had to bail out the bond market so the pensions didn't collapse? Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah? Because some of you are looking at me blank, it's like, yeah. it, it was like, it was only like, well, like, I don't know, eight months ago, a year ago or so, okay? Guess what? Your bond market is worse now than it was then. You've got a housing collapse that's just imminent. And our GDP of this nation, a lot of those, a lot of those stats which hold up our GDP, so we're just above falling, we're not going into a, you know, into a recession, is fueled by the housing market. Now already, housing is dropping. In fact, I read a, uh, something in the papers the other day, it's now the lowest that's been on record ever recorded. Okay, you are going to see uh, negative equity coming to this nation. I was listening to another economist. He said that by the end of this year, 1.2 million households will be insolvent because they are spending, and this is another stat, the highest amount of drawing on their own savings and using credit cards to pay their bills just so they can survive at this moment in time, hoping that interest rates will go down, but they won't, they'll go up because we've been printing off money for 15 years. What else are you going to expect but hyperinflation? So if you want to look at this academically, a recession slash depression is coming. And the church needs to be ahead of the curve and the church needs to know the answer and the church needs to be the solution to the problem that's coming. And this is what we're trying to do. This is why we have a farm and this is why we are growing lots of fruit and stuff. It's not because this is my little, me and Tracy's idea because we want to be farmers. <laughs> if someone said to me you know, 15 years ago, Chris, one day you're going to be running a church and be a farmer. I'd be like, well, that's rubbish. I'm never going to do that. We're doing that not because it's fun. We're doing it because we're learning how to do stuff, grow food, so that we can be there to help prepare for the church. We've spent £20,000 on food storage so that when things go really bad, you, our people in our congregations will be looked after and will be fed. We have upped everything. So God said, feed my sheep. So we feed the sheep practically. We feed the sheep spiritually. We've upped our podcast with spiritual teaching, etc., and we're also doing what we're doing with the food because we're taking God's word seriously. Oh, Chris, where's this in the Bible? His name was Joseph. Yeah. 
Okay, this happened before, it will happen again and it will happen again. But the church needs to be on the head of the curve. It can't be like caught with its trousers down because unfortunately that's what's coming. Many Christians are going to be caught unawares and just believe, God, why did you not tell me? Why did you not warn me? And it will be a sad day because the church should be the answer to what's coming. And unfortunately, some will, but many won't be. And so just explain a little bit about our vision so that you know about the field yeah, yeah. Do, does anyone know about the building we're about to start building there yep. okay so we've got a it's a lovely design I still can't show you until the plans are submitted hopefully next week to to the planning department but it's a massive barn looking like structure even though it isn't really it just looks like a barn but it isn't really and it's a 200 seater auditorium with uh, that's one half it and the other half is things like kitchens rooms teaching rooms and residential rooms upstairs and because we believe that where things are going to go the way they're going, we've got to go back to the ancient past. There's a big, long backstory to that, which is going back to a more monastic form of Christianity where prayer is the heart of our culture. And everything starts from there and everything else swirls out from that culture. So prayer has to be the very core of who and what we are. Because the days of just doing church and doing 1% prayer and 99% busyness is not going to be effectual or work in the days in which we're coming into. We need to see signs and wonders. Even though we've done our bit to prepare for what's coming, we still need God to do miracles as well. You know, the name Joseph means God will add that which is lacking. And we've done all that we can. There's more for us to do. But then where we're lacking, God is going to make up for that which is lacking. Amen? Amen. So this is part of what we're doing. So... We'll be building that barn and of course then uh, we've got our, our church in Titchfield and then we've got another plant in Bridgemary. But the way that the, what, what we're planning on doing and the way things are going is I think a lot of things are going to have to go into a state of flux for a season. This won't be a long, well it will be a, a while, but this isn't the ultimate plan I don't think for the church from what I believe God showed me. Is that the church will have to break down into smaller groups. Uh, because people won't be able to travel so far because they won't have the money for the fuel to justify going from here to whatever. And so we've got plans already that, you know, do, through people being in home groups, we can supply those home groups with the food that's necessary, etc., that they require. And then the central building, so to speak, whether it's on the farm or whether it's uh, in Titchfield, that will be a place which will be a hub from where all the teaching will come from, uh, where the vision can come from, where su uh, supplies can come from, financial aid can come from. And so the house churches, the satellites, revolve around the main plant. Then what happens if you have a satellite that starts to really grow in its own right, that then becomes a hub in that area and from that hub it then supports other house churches which plants out. That was always the intended vision for Living Word but things, you know, you kind of go off track a little bit and so on and so forth. So here we are now kind of coming back full circle really and now I'm excited. I'm excited by where we're going. I'm excited that we're finally going to see God do something wonderful in this nation. But you see, you've got to be on, on ahead of the curve on this thing. You can't be a Christian that's running around like a headless chicken. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Because the world needs to see that we have the answer to the problem that Christ has already forewarned us and therefore forearmed us for the days in which we're coming. Now I appreciate you may not have grown up on preaching like this necessarily and I'm not a scaremonger, not at all. If anything, I see hope 
in all of this. Now, a few years ago, people might have thought I was a bit of a madman saying the things that I say. But now they're seeing it for themselves and they're seeing it being outworked. And you don't need to be a prophet to, to actually see where we're headed and we're headed to it fast. And if you're still not convinced, by the way, you can have a look, just something else just to blow your mind. So in America, they have the uh, two-year bond and a 10-year bond. This is basically an IOU from the American government saying, hey, if you invest in our bonds, we will owe you X amount of interest. And so you make a bit of profit at the end of either two years or 10 years. But the two-year bonds have inverted. That means you shouldn't get quite so much money for a two-year as you do for a 10-year, right? Because obviously you're investing in, say, hey, let's go for the long, we'll get more money. But now it's inverted which means that the two years making more money than the 10 year. Why is this a problem? Because it's a classic sign of recession is looming. In fact, it's the one single indicator that proves without fail that recession to America is coming. However, the next problem is, is that the inverted curve yield is the highest that it's been in 60 years. This means it's not an average, cool, calm recession that's coming. It's a blindingly big recession that's coming to America. Okay, this is, this is gonna impact the whole world. Make 2008 look like a walk in the park. Now, I'm not saying this to put fear in this, I'm saying this because we need to be mindful of the signs of the times in which we're in. We need to be children of the sons of Issachar, that we understand the times in which we're in, and we have an answer and a solution and can speak to the people in, in the times in which we're in. Because I tell you something now, I've studied enough church history to know this one simple thing. When the stock market goes, people pray and people want answers. Yeah? yeah? Just 2008 as a, as a more recent example. Okay, no, no, let's go back to 2001. When 9-11 uh, when happens, the next day, all the churches in America were absolutely packed. Absolutely jam-packed. 2008, when we had, the other, when we had a financial collapse, Again, churches in America were being filled. People were, people, I, I read testimonies of people that just mind their own business and just suddenly thought, what's happening to me? Where am I going when I die? And they literally just gave their lives to Jesus. Okay? When, when I've looked back at the 1930s uh, stock market collapse, the 1940s and the 1904 and the 18, I think 1850, etc. When I looked at all these financial collapse, the same thing happened every time. The church got down to praying. People started getting saved. Okay, so this actually is our opportunity to do the right thing because unfortunately we're not, we're not really doing a great job at it at the moment and we're in a culture and a time at the moment where they don't care. They don't want to know what you've got to say because they're postmodernistic and if that's good for you, well then good for you, right? But when you take away the rug on the veil of lasciviousness and they have no security anymore in their pension or where they're going to get their next paycheck from, then they'll want answers, then they'll cry out to the living God. Now you might think, oh that, Chris, that's a really cruel thing to say. Unfortunately, that is the way that man is. And this is a cycle that keeps happening. Every single move of God, I've done the research, you go do it yourself, you will see that every single major move of God was preceded by an economic collapse. And then the church prayed, and then people started getting saved. Yeah? Hallelujah. I mean, one of my favorites period of church history is actually uh, in America. I think it's during the second, second Great Awakening. I think, or the first Great Awakening, I can't remember quick, quick. Well, when was the Civil War? What year was that? So that, yeah, so that would have been the first Great Awakening. So, so in the first Great Awakening, there was a stock market collapse, believe it or not, not the stock market that we have today, but there was a bank collapse, and it caused people to really pray and pray and pray. 
to the point that when civil war broke out in America, people were literally getting saved on the battlefield before they got shot. Okay? This, this, is, this is, we are on the cusp of something quite incredulous and quite incredible. And we have an opportunity to be the answer, to be salt and light like we've never had before, praise God. And so that's why, even though this congregation looks like it's closing and dying, it's not. The congregation here will continue on as a house group, as a cluster church uh, with, with Fairham that will supply and help and benefit you guys. Yeah? So you're not on your own. You're not being left just to like, you know, make it up as you go along. It's not going to be like that. And then as you guys grow and if your home groups grow, then you split and you create another home group and so on and so forth. But the centrality comes from a strong congregation that can financially uh, support you and can support you from an insurance point of view, can, can protect you in, 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 in most different types of ways that our insurance and our, our charity and our spiritual thing allows. So you can see that this is not a sad time, that actually it's a time of preparation for where we're going. And uh, it's a time for us as a church to really take seriously what God is saying to his churches because the message that I'm bringing is not just me saying this. There are lots of prophets, so prophetic people saying this all around the nations. Um, this is coming. Hallelujah. But I just want to end with this. I, I knew that we had a lady at our congregation once and she, she was sent as an interpreter to... Um, oh man, I'm terrible with names. Um, I can't remember the name of the... Argentina, thank you, thank you Jesus, Argentina. So she was a, a translator and she was following a prophet in Argentina. That prophet was warning Argentina they were heading towards economic collapse. And so she went out and but she was there when it all kicked off and she was there when it all happened. So she went out translating for him, warning the churches that this is coming and stuff. And then the fateful day happened and overnight everything changed. But, every, but actually the churches that were prepared, it was a joyous thing, it was a wonderful thing. Be, overnight, everything went from a currency system to a bartering system. People just moved really quick, they're like, okay, right, okay, so I need a haircut, I've got some apples, you hungry? Yeah, yeah, I'll have your apples, I need, I need my haircut. You know, the people started doing things like that. Suddenly, everything shifted overnight. So this is not like, oh my gosh, this is the end of life as we know it. It might be the end of Starbucks whenever we feel like it and go and get myself a DVD or a Blu-ray when I fancy it. Those days will go, unfortunately. But this is a new opportunity for the church to actually finally see the revival that we've longed for. You know, God has told me consistently it will be the best of times and the worst of times. Worst of times because of what's coming to the world and the nations, but the best of times because what the church will get to see and see what God is doing in this hour. And I tell you what, I'm so looking forward to it. I'm so geared up for it. And this is, for me, this is what I've been born to do. And you know what? It's what you've been born to do as well. Some of you may have not just noticed it. Really? You might think, well, I'm old. I don't care how old you are. Well, Moses was 120. Caleb was in his 80s, etc. Does it really matter how old you are? You can all serve the Lord and do wonderful things for him. Amen. So, Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we celebrate, Lord God, the closing of this congregation, Lord God, and walking around this mountain. And we celebrate, Lord Jesus, that we're now moving into the next phase. As one door closes, we come into another, Lord Jesus, as we prepare your body, as we prepare together, Lord God, to face what's coming, Lord Jesus, and to be ready and to be at the, at the go, Lord, that when you say go, that we can go, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for these good people. I pray you bless them. I pray you watch over them, Lord God. And I pray that the, the core community of this church will stay strong together, Lord Jesus. And, Lord, I pray that they will know that you will never fail them and that you will never forsake them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.